15th. There's been a little bit of an adjustment in the times and uh, location based on availability in our building. So final decision, though, it's going to be during the 9 a.m. service, and it's going to be right here upstairs. I'm excited about this class. I'm excited to teach this class. I'm excited to see how God is going to use this in the life of our church because this class is all about coming back to the basics of what it means to follow Jesus, what it looks like to live in a personal relationship with God, and how that functions, how that works, how you do that in community, and how you do that outside of the walls of this building in the world that we live in. So I want to challenge you to take that next step. Sign up for this class. Check that box on your connection card. Drop it in the offering and be part of this and come and see what God will challenge you with and what he'll teach you through this. Okay? Next opportunity that's happening is our vacation Bible school. And today's an exciting day because today's the first day that you can begin signing up for vacation Bible school. So this is for all you parents with kids. Um, June 22nd, I think, through the 26th is the dates that it's happening. The cost is free. All you got to do is go to stapletonchurch.com slash VBS, sign up, and we'll follow up more with you with more details on this. You're going to see a video in just a second with some more details, so I won't say too much more about that. But this is so important for our church because this is a context where you can safely put your children in where they can continue to learn what it looks like to follow Jesus as well. Okay, so great opportunity. encourage you to be part of. Uh, but now we're going to take time uh, for, to engage in a little bit of giving together. And if you're new with us this morning, don't feel obligated to give. We honestly are really just glad that you're with us. But we would love to get to know you. So what I want to ask is that you fill out your connection card. That's that little tear-off strip in your bulletin. Drop that in the offering. That allows us to welcome you into our community. And just alongside that, we give $5 to the Denver Rescue Mission for every new connection card that we get. Um, if you are a part of Stapleton Church on a regular basis, I encourage you to give regularly and generously. And for all those gifts that are given, we truly, truly thank you because that helps us help others follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you this morning. Uh, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you for the opportunity to be in community and, Lord, to be connected to one another in Christ Jesus, our Savior. We thank you for what you've done with us. We pray that as Matt comes and teaches us, about Jesus, our Savior, that you'd open our hearts and our minds to receive your word and to live as a true reflection of Jesus in this world as we leave this place today. We pray over these gifts that are given, God, that you would bless them and that you would use them for the furthering of your kingdom and your gospel in this world. And we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. For the most epic adventure ever? Next summer, Group VBS is taking kids on a ride they'll never forget. Get on board the Rocky Railway. Your church will be on track at Sing and Play Express. Get ready for high-energy fun at Locomotion Games. Experience impactful Bible lessons and Bible adventures. You'll have amazing discoveries at Imagination Station. We trust 
a glimpse into the world of five awesome kids who learned that Jesus' power pulls us through. The best part of summer is full steam ahead at Rocky Railway. Rocky Railway BBS State of June 22nd to the 26th. Registration is now open at stapletonchurch.com slash BBS. All right, that's pretty exciting, right? Yeah, that's exciting. Well, I'm glad you guys are here. My name is Matt Wolfoff. I haven't met you yet. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, a couple things going on in the life of our church. Grant Ryder, he was just up here, our community pastor. He, just a few weeks ago, I, I, I didn't get his permission to tell you this, but just a few weeks ago, he went through our church planter assessment with Converge, the movement we're a part of, and he got approved. He was just one of two, Grant and Leah were one of two couples of the 15 couples there that got a full approval. So we're really excited. Um, yeah, which is great. We're really excited about it because um, they're, they're praying and thinking, where is God leading us? But we think that's going to be happening in the life of our church, which is a really cool thing that we can go send out uh, church planners to start a new church. We're excited about that. That's a big deal. So get ready for that. We don't have details yet, but just start getting excited and praying for that. Okay. Um, another thing, uh, raise the roof. Raise the roof. Can everybody do this with me right now? Raise the roof. We've been talking about this because our building, Hangar 61, an amazing building that we own, uh, the historic building, it has some structural damage, some problems with the roof, and we need to fix it. Tomorrow, they're going to be here. They, they said once it's 40 degrees and arriving, we're going to be starting to work on this, and so tomorrow they're going to be here. Hopefully the work will start pretty soon after that. Um, so with that, we're excited. We're finally going to get this roof fixed and hopefully permanently fixed, but also we encourage you guys to give because bills are going to start coming in. You guys have already given a lot. We're trying to raise $160,000 to completely fix this roof for good. Um, and we still need just under 75000 more. So if you would consider giving a one-time gift uh, above and beyond your regular giving, we would really appreciate that. Maybe from your tax return you could give a portion or all of that, and we would really appreciate it so we can fix this roof. So think about it, pray about it, consider that. Okay, um, we're going to jump into our message today as we continue our Change Agents series. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verse 11 is where we're going to start today and go all the way to 35 7-Eleven. Um, I'm glad you guys are here. I know some people probably slept in. Um, we still love them. Maybe you're watching online. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Or maybe you're coming at 6 p.m. tonight. Uh, we'll, we'll be happy, whatever it is. But we're excited about this morning. It's Luke 7:11. You can open up your Bible, smartphone, or follow along on the screen behind me. Because we're looking about the one you're looking for. Uh, a few months back, I was trying to find a song on Alexa. We have one of those little echo dots. Anybody have those? Uh, echo dot in our living room. We have it su- uh, connected to a subwoofer and some speakers. And I was trying to find a song. I don't even remember what song it was now, but I was looking for it and I, I said, hey Alexa, could you play this song? Somebody's watching online and their Alexa's going to go off. Um, but I, the, I was trying to find the song and all of a sudden it played this song instead for McKinley and I. And I had never heard this song before, but we were like, oh, it's kind of catchy. So we started listening. I guess it came out in 2013. I didn't know it. I'm, I guess I'm not that hip in the dance charts. Um, but I, we were like, oh, this is good. It's called Hey Brother. It was right after, you know, McKinley had her new brother and sister. So we were singing it. She really liked it. And, and all of a sudden, like this, it has a good beat too, doesn't it? We started dancing to it. And we do some, you know, if I can say this, if I can confess it, we have some dance parties in our living room. Um, 
And we showed Melissa the next day, and this song now has become the go-to for our dance parties, right? It's the go-to for our dance party. And why I love it is because I, we weren't even looking for it, right? I don't even remember what I was looking for. Now we found this awesome song. We're like, this is great. It's got a good beat. Let's dance to it and sing it. Um, McKinley always wants to hear, hey, brother. And so I think that's really cool because sometimes that happens, that you find a song or you find a good place to eat or maybe you find a church. You're not even looking for it maybe, and all of a sudden, boom, it's here, and you're like, I love it. And that's just a really cool thing that can happen. You're looking for something, but you find something even better. And what we're going to talk about is that very concept. Because I believe at the deepest core of who we are, our hearts are longing for something, are yearning for something. And we look in all sorts of different places. We try all sorts of different things. But what we're going to learn today is that Jesus is the one you're looking for. You guys are kind of quiet. We went to a conference over the weekend uh, with a Converge conference, and it was at a, a black church. And I feel like I need some amens now. Okay, I mean, you guys are a little quiet, okay? I'm like, man, my church isn't this loud. What's going on, okay? Jesus is the one you're looking for. Okay, that's a little better. Okay, there we go. Jesus is the one you're looking for. And he really is. We have all these different things. We might be looking over here, looking over there. We have these longings in our heart. We say, hey, I'm here because I want some hope. I feel despair. I feel darkness in my life, depression, and I just need some hope. Or my marriage is in shambles. It's on the rocks. I need help. Or, or with my relationship, I just need practical help. How do I get through it? Maybe you're in suffering or despair or dealing with some grief in your life. There are all sorts of things in our hearts. But what I'm trying to tell you today and what we're going to learn from this passage is that whatever it is that longing you have in your heart, Jesus is the one you're looking for. Amen. So what we're going to see in this passage in Luke chapter 7, starting verse 11, is three different aspects of how Jesus is the one you're looking for. Three different things our hearts long for that Jesus and Jesus alone fulfills. And the first one we're going to see, if you're taking notes, the first one we're going to see is that Jesus, Jesus has the empathy you're looking for. Jesus has the empathy you're looking for. So when we jump into verse 11, what you're going to see is that Jesus goes into this small town called Nain. And Nain was in the southern part of the Galilee region, and he's kind of been there preaching around. He's been moving around, performing miracles. He's gathering these crowds of people that are following him everywhere he goes. And he goes into this town of Nain, and he's at the city gate, and something is happening. Back in those days, the city gate was where all the important business happened. Okay? If anything important was going to happen in the city, it was there at the city gate because that's where people were always gathering. There would be the marketplace. If there was a political thing going on or a speaker, they'd come to the city gate. If there was business that happened, a major transaction, it would be done at the city gate so there would be witnesses. But when Jesus comes into town at the city gate, there is something else going on. It's a funeral procession. It's a funeral procession. And everybody was there, whether they were part of the family or not, because they were carrying the young man who had died out, basically on a stretcher, to be taken out of the town to be buried. Now, I, I don't know if you've been to a lot of funerals. I, I did quite a few when I was a pastor out in Nebraska. And what we would do there, we'd have the service at the church, and then there was the cemetery. So you'd have the service, and then you put the body in the hearse, and then there'd be a huge procession. All the cars of everybody at the, the ceremony would go out to the, the cemetery uh, across the bridge and cross the street. And if there was a, it was a big funeral, there'd be 
the police officers would be there, to, the, you know, the sheriff would be there to make sure that the roads were clear because everybody had to sit and wait and watch as the procession went to the graveside. And then we do the graveside service there. So that's kind of what's going on here. And for this funeral procession, as becomes very evident, it is a young man who has died who is the only son of a widow. The only son of a widow. So this woman has already lost her husband. And now she's lost her only son. So there's this big group of people, all these people there, and and Jesus walks into this. I don't know if this is what he was expecting or or knew what was going to happen, but there it is, all these people. And last summer, um, I haven't quite been in this situation, but last summer we had a young man in our church who died, and he was the only son of his mother. And... I had this experience that I hopefully never will have in the rest of my life, that I was there with the parents because they flew in, he lived here by himself, to go with them to see the body for the first time. And to see the tears on his family's face and and just to be there with them, it is an overwhelming feeling. I mean, with any death, it's hard, for those of you who have experienced that grief. But, But the only son of a widow, she has no man left in her life, no one there to take care of her, which was really important in that culture. This woman is in the the deepest grief of her life. She would have been wearing black clothes, had ashes on her face. She would have been crying, weeping. Everybody else would have been joining in in the crying as well in this funeral procession. And that's when Jesus comes to town. And Jesus sees the young man. In, In those days, there wasn't a coffin. It wasn't, you know, anything like that because they would take the body out and then wrap the body up and put them in a tomb. There's another famous guy that put, got put in a tomb back in those days for three days. Maybe you've heard that story. We'll get to it in a few weeks, right? But the body wasn't wrapped, so Jesus sees this young man, maybe a teenager. We're not told how old he is, but he's a young man. His body's there, and Jesus sees, and this is where we pick up the story in verse 13. It says, when the Lord, when Jesus saw her, this widow, this grieving mother, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. What I love about this is that Jesus has pure empathy and compassion for this woman. The phrase, his heart went out to her, is actually an interesting Greek word, splankisomai. You know that word, right? Could you say that, <laughs> repeat that after me? Splankisomai. Splankisomai. It's an interesting word. It it talks about the empathy, the compassion, the the heart. It's an understanding and a heart. That's why it translates it here as his heart went out to her because there's this compassion that comes, not only an understanding, but a feeling of what is going on with this other woman. What's interesting is that Luke uses this word just two more times in the entire Gospel of Luke. This entire book that he wrote, the account as he investigated who Jesus was. It's one other time, and you'll, you'll be familiar with these stories if, if you know a little bit about the Bible. The first one is in the story of the Good Samaritan. See, there was this Samaritan, and when the Samaritan was walking on the road, unlike everybody else, when he saw the man naked and beaten and left on the side of the road who had been robbed and he had nothing, it says that the Samaritan had compassion, spankisomai, for this man laying naked on the side of the road, and he picked him up and took care of him. That's the kind of compassion that Jesus is showing here. The second time that this word occurs elsewhere is in a story about a young man who takes the inheritance from his father. So before his father's dead, he says, I wish you were dead, give me all the money now. 
takes all that money, spends it, wastes it all, and is living a terrible life. And he's literally, because he's lost all his money, he's lost his job, he's eating the same food that the pigs are eating. We know it as the story of the prodigal son. And finally, this son says, my life is so miserable, so awful, even though I have so dishonored my dad, I've got to go back because he's the only one who can help me. And when he is walking, it says that the father sees him from far off and has compassion. He has spankisomai for his son. And he sees him in the distance, and, and fathers didn't do this in the day, this day, but he pulled up his, his coat and he ran as fast as he could so he could put his arms around his son and hug him. Because he had spankisomai, he had compassion for this son who had returned. This is the compassion that Jesus has for this widow, this woman who has just lost her son, and he sees her, and his heart, his benkisomai, goes out to her. Because Jesus has empathy for what she's going with, because it is so hard, so difficult, so challenging. You know, I, I, I think this is so important, and our hearts long for this empathy, because when we go through grief, when we go through hardship, we want someone who understands us and cares about us. We do. And one of the worst things that happen, and maybe you've experienced this, I have, you share with someone, you finally open up to tell them what the hard thing is that you're going through. And then they say, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. Your mom died. Well, my gerbil died last week. And gets you angry, right? Why does it get you angry? Because they don't understand. And we want somebody who does understand. We want someone who has true empathy, who understands what we're going for, through and cares about it. And that's a rare thing in this world, right? And people let us down. Even people we love, because one thing, we just don't know what to say when someone's grieving, right? It's hard. But the thing is, we long for someone. Our heart longs for someone who actually does care and understand. And Jesus, and Jesus alone is that person. Let me tell you this. Jesus knows what you're going through. Because Jesus was 100% human just like you. He experienced pain and hardship. He cried. You know the shortest verse in the entire Bible? Jesus wept, okay? Because when his friend Lazarus died, he was in tears. He was crying. It says in Isaiah, a prophecy about Jesus, that says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's acquainted with grief. He understood what was going on. He had empathy. So when he sees this woman and he tells her, don't cry, he's not saying, don't cry now, get this. He's not saying, oh, don't cry, you're not supposed to cry. We just said he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and he wept, right? He spent one whole night weeping. He knew that you are supposed to cry and grieve sometimes. But not this time. Because Jesus stops the funeral procession. You don't do this. You don't stop a funeral procession. He stops the funeral procession and he goes up to where this man is being carried. And it says that he spoke to the corpse. He says, young man, I say to you, Get up. And the young man sits up, starts talking, and then Jesus takes him and gives him to his mother. He's alive. He's immediately back. His cognitive abilities. He's able to talk immediately. He sits up. This man was dead. They're carrying him out to bury him in the ground, and Jesus has raised him from the dead. This is incredible. And that's why he said, don't cry, because it wasn't a time to cry then. Because Jesus not only had the empathy, but he had the, the, the ability to help this woman, right? This is incredible. 
This is a powerful miracle. I, I think we need to understand this is because when we go through hardship, when our hearts are longing for that empathy, we need to go to God with it because Jesus, his son, empathizes with us. Jesus has the empathy you're looking for. Even when other people let you down, Jesus has it. In the book of Hebrews, it kind of explains the theology and the practical application of this. In chapter 4, verse 15, we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. A lot of times we think, oh, that priest, that pastor, they don't know what my life's like. Trying to help me. Maybe you're even thinking that right now. Pastor, you don't know what you're talking about. I probably don't. But we have a high priest, Jesus, who is in heaven, who empathizes with us because he was a human being just like us. He experienced all the emotions that we experienced. And it says, because of that, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So because Jesus is the one we're looking for, because Jesus has the empathy we're looking for, we can go to him and receive the grace in that moment to help us. To get through it. And though we, we may still grieve because, grieve because the, the body is not coming back from the dead. But we know that one day in Jesus, it will. We have that hope. And, and through Jesus, we find the power and we, we receive this mercy, this grace, this help. Because Jesus has the compassion you're looking for. So if you're here today and you're in a rough spot, you're sad, you're lonely. Could you imagine the loneliness this woman must have been thinking she was feeling? If you're feeling that grief, Jesus has the empathy you're looking for. Your friends will let you down. That relationship will let you down. Your pastor will let you down, but not Jesus. Jesus has the empathy you're looking for. And the reason why it's even better, it's like we've already seen Jesus too, the second point, has the power you're looking for. I mean, it's one thing to feel what I feel. No, no, no. We want more than that, right? We want someone who can actually help us, who has the power to bring us out of our grief and hardship and suffering and trial. And Jesus and Jesus alone has the true power that you're looking for. What's interesting is right after this happens, it says in verse 16, there's the, the huge crowd of people that had just witnessed this. All the people are there at the city gate, the whole town. It says, they were all filled with awe and praised God. And they said this, a great prophet Interesting. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. I, I puzzled over this for quite a while because why, why did they say a great prophet is among us? When we think of prophets, normally we think of, okay, this is a spokesperson for God, right? And, and Jesus, I mean, all he said was, get up, okay? I mean, I guess that's a prophecy in a sense. But why are they saying that Jesus is the great prophet? Well, it's because of how this event happened and where this event happened. Okay, I want to explain this to you because what Jesus did here in this section, raising in name, raising this boy back to life, was that it's recalling two different events that had happened in Israel's history. The first one was with a prophet named Elijah. Now Elijah, says in 1 Kings chapter 17, went to a town named Zarephath. And what's fascinating, it's the exact same language that we find here in this passage. It says that Jesus met this widow, a widow in Zarephath, at the city gate. Same place. Same place where Jesus just met this woman in the funeral procession. He met a widow. So Elijah meets this widow at the city gate, and later on, her only son dies. And it's a bizarre story. You should read it. 
We went over this a few years ago in our series Fire from Heaven. Um, Elijah is like kind of sprawls out on top of this boy and raises the boy back from the dead through the power of God. It's an incredible story. And then what's interesting, why this is even more fascinating, it says literally the same language. Elijah took the boy and gave him back to his mother. Same language that it said when Jesus took the boy and gave him back to his mother. Interesting, right? You see those parallels? And it also happened a second time with another prophet named Elisha. This is Elijah's, I mean, guy who comes after him, right? The guy he trained. And Elisha went to a town, not Zarephath, but this time he went to a town called Shunem. It's the story of the Shunammite woman, 2 Kings 5. He goes into Shunem, and there's a woman. She's not a widow, but she only has one son. It's kind of a miracle story even that she gets this one son, but the one son then dies. This one son dies, and Elisha goes and raises that woman's only son back from the dead. The parallel between those two stories, not only is there an only son that's raised back from the dead, but that town, we don't know this because we don't know ancient Israelite geography, let's be honest. None of us do. But that town of Shunem was located on the same mountain as the town of Nain. They're, they're just around the slope. Same town, same Jezreel Valley that both these towns are located on. And it was in that same location. So even though we don't know the geography, those people in Nain would have known the geography and they said, whoa, this is just like what happened with Elijah. It's just like what happened with Elisha. The prophet is here again. God has sent his spokesperson to work miracles among us. The prophet is here. This prophet who has the power to even raise the dead back to life is among us. Jesus has the power you're looking for. What's fascinating is it says that word gets back to John about this. In verse 18, we pick up the story again. It says that John's disciples, this is John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, told him about all these things, calling two of them, two of his disciples. He sent them to the Lord, to Jesus, to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So if you know anything about John, you know that he uh, was a phenomenal preacher. He went out into the desert. He was a weird dude. But he was out in the desert preaching, and thousands of thousands of people went out into the desert where there's no water, no food, no transportation, and they went out there to hear him preach. They're getting baptized by him. It's just incredible revival. We looked at him earlier in the Gospel of Luke. And John wants to know, Jesus, is this the one that I've been telling everyone to look for? Because that's what John's message was. Repent, because the Savior is coming, the Messiah is coming, the one we've been waiting for, the one we've been looking for is about to come. He's, a, he's just around the corner, you've got to wait. And he wants to know, is this the one? Is this the one? Somebody asked me after the first service, uh, why was John unsure? Didn't John know? Didn't John baptize Jesus? And yes, he did. So what is going on here? Do you know where John is right now? He's in prison. He has been in prison because he was a prophet and he was preaching and he made the king upset. So the king threw him in prison and would eventually, as we'll learn, execute him. So John is there waiting. And do you know what he was waiting for? Someone to rescue him. He wanted help and he was waiting. He was looking for something. He said, who's going to help me? If Jesus is the Messiah, I thought he was, I dunked him. In the Gospel of John, John was able to even say, hey, this is the Son of God, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. So he knew that this was the Messiah, right? But why haven't you done your thing yet? I've been waiting. 
he hears the story about this woman whose son comes back to life, and he's probably thinking, where's my miracle? Why can't Jesus get me out of prison and rescue me in my situation? Jesus, who has the power to get him out of prison, who has the power, says this in response in verse 22 and 23. He says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He says, look at what I have done. I have power. I'm performing miracles right now. I don't need to tell you I'm the Messiah. Look at who I am and what I do. I am fulfilling all the prophecies, the dozens of prophecies through the book of Isaiah, all about me. I'm doing it all. And I think he puts in that line in verse 23 for John. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Because I can do all those, these things, but yet I have not rescued John in his peril. I have the power. But that's not what I'm doing right now, yet. And I think this is important to us because we are waiting sometimes for our miracle. We're longing for God to do something to step in. Why can't you get me out of my mess, my prison? Sometimes it's the prison of our own making, right? Why, why can't I get out of this? I'm trying to get some help. Some of us are looking all over the place for help with this. I'm going to try some new habits because I've got to break out of my old bad habits because sometimes we are our own worst enemy, right? I've got to get over this stuff. Or, or I'm suffering. Maybe I'm going to try this self-help book or this self-help guru. I'm going to go to this class. I'm going to take this seminar because I'm going to try anything I can to help. Some of you are even here because I've got to try some religion to help. Maybe Christianity is true. I don't know. I'm just going to try it. I need some help. And I want to tell you, if that's you here today, Jesus is the power you're looking for. He has all the power. He has the power. He's performed these miracles. We've seen it. They seem crazy that this dead boy came back to life. It's crazy because it's crazy. It's a miracle that Jesus has this power, that he's able to take the blind and give them sight, the people who can't walk and get them up on their feet. Jesus has all the power in the world. And he alone has that power that you're looking for. So we need to know we cannot go to those other things and expect them to rescue us, to help us, to get us out of our mess. They can't. Those things will all let us down. Except for Jesus. Jesus has the power you're looking for. So turn to him and turn only to him. I'll tell you this. 2020. No politician has the power you're looking for. Did you hear me? No politician has the power you're looking for. Serious, you should get an amen for that. Okay, I don't care what your political stripe is, you know, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green Party, anarchist, I don't know what you are, but Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Tulsi Gabbard, none of them are going to rescue us from all our problems. They're not. No politician, no human being has the power we're looking for. And we can turn to those people again and again and again and you'll be let down again and again and again. Your pastor doesn't have the power you're looking for, but Jesus does. He has all power on heaven and earth. Jesus has the power you're looking for. So look to him and to him alone. What's amazing is that there's one other human thing that we long for in our hearts that Jesus fulfills. And I, I think some of us don't even want to acknowledge that we feel this, but we do. But Jesus has the greatness you're looking for. Okay? We admit it, we're all looking to be great. We want to be more important. We want our life to have some significance to it. 
We want to not just die and be forgotten. We want to say, hey, I've, I've helped somebody. I've, I've, I've built something. I've done something important. We want to have greatness. And we should acknowledge that. But then the second thing we need to acknowledge is that Jesus has the greatness you're looking for. Nothing else does. Only Jesus. And Jesus actually promises us that greatness. This is interesting. He says, after those messengers went back to John to tell him what Jesus had said, Jesus begins to address the crowd. A lot of the crowd had been baptized by John. There's a whole group of people, so they knew John, and now they know Jesus. And he says to them, and we pick this up in verse 26, he says, but what did you go out to see? You trekked dozens of miles out into the desert where there's no food and no water. You, you went out there. It was not comfortable. It was not fun, but you went out there. Why did you do it? What did you go out to see? He says, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. This is a prophecy prophecy from the book of Malachi saying that there would be the messenger, the prophet, like Elijah, who would come before Jesus. He's saying, John is the one who's the messenger preparing the way for the Messiah. In a sense, he's saying, I'm the Messiah. John was the one who is telling you all about me. And in verse 28, he says, I tell you, this is interesting, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. John is the greatest human being to ever live up to this point. You thought Moses was great? Now look at John. You thought David was great? He's a great king, but nothing like John. Elijah, Elisha, they all pale in comparison to John. He's an incredible guy. Amazing man. Yet, he says, the one who is least, least in the kingdom of God, is greater than he. The greatest human being to ever live is less than the least person in the kingdom of God. This is interesting because this means when we decide to follow Jesus and we we make him our Lord and Savior, we enter into his kingdom. He's the king and he's ruling and now you're part of the kingdom. You've entered it. Even here in this life. It's not just when you die, okay? The kingdom has begun. But when you make that decision to enter the kingdom, you have now become greater than the greatest human being that ever lived. This is pretty amazing what Jesus is saying here. I don't know if you've thought about this. That he's saying that the greatest human being, I don't know, who, who's the greatest human being we, we talk about today? Steve Jobs, and what, all the things he did, Barack Obama, we, we look at all these accomplishments, and we just eulogize Kobe Bryant. Okay, we look at all these great human beings, but in their human achievements, in their human achievements, it pales in comparison to the worst sinner who happens to enter the kingdom of God through faith. The man who was being executed on the cross next to Jesus, as we'll see later in the Gospel of Luke. The criminal who with his last breath says, Jesus, remember me. And he calls out in faith to Jesus. And Jesus says, today, I will, you will be with me in paradise. You will be in the kingdom reigning forever. You are greater than any other human being. Though you are a sinner who deserves to be executed for your crimes because you have put your faith in me. You are greater than anyone who's ever come before you. This is powerful. That Jesus is saying, you follow me. You will have the greatness you're looking for. Hear that? And we all long for greatness. A few years back, there was an auction. Um, it was a nonprofit, and they talked Stephen King into allowing someone who wins this auction to have a character in his novel named after them, right? It's going to be a zombie novel, probably die off pretty quickly. But if you pay the right money and you bid the highest, you're going to get your name forever written down into this. And there was one woman who won the auction by spending $25,000 and $25,100. To get her brother's name, she decided her brother's name written into this novel. And of course, he got written into the zombie novel and killed off. 
they interviewed her and they interviewed another guy who had lost. He only bid 25000 And they asked, like, well, why did you bid so much money? And the guy said, well, it's not every day that you can purchase immortality. Why did he say that? Because he just wants to be immortal, to live on past himself, right? I think we all long for that, even if it's just a Stephen King novel. Okay, we want to be remembered. We want to be something more important, something greater than ourselves. And if that's our longing, it will not be fulfilled in anything other than Jesus. In anything other than Jesus. So we can look to our career. That's where we usually look. If I work at my career and I advance far enough and I, and I get another promotion and I get some more power and authority, if I build this business, people will look at me and think they're great. I will be the greatest teacher. I will be the greatest physician there. And, and everybody will see that I'm great. And Jesus says, none of those things, none of those things will fulfill that longing in your heart. Only your faith in Jesus Christ will give you the greatness you're looking for. Because here's the thing. It's one thing to get your name written in Stephen King's novel. It's another thing to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Where you will be forever remembered and reign forever in the kingdom of God when it's made perfect here on this earth. Okay? Jesus has the greatness you're looking for. And if we add these things all up, if Jesus has the empathy we're looking for, he has the love, the compassion that nobody else, nobody else understands me. But Jesus does. Jesus has that empathy. If Jesus has the power that's unlike anyone else or anything else in this entire world, and if Jesus, if Jesus has the greatness that nothing and no one else can provide, I believe that Jesus is the one you're looking for. He fulfills those deep longings of our heart, even if we don't know that we're looking for Him. We're looking for something, and we're looking all over the place for it. But Jesus is the one you're looking for. And I don't want you to miss this today. Because a lot of people missed it in Jesus' day. In the last section of this passage, there was a lot of people there that day who rejected Jesus. He'd performed these miracles. He had told these great things that he was going to provide, and they rejected him. A lot of the religious people of his day, the churchgoers, said, nah, we'll keep looking for somebody else. A lot of people sadly do this, and Jesus challenged them, and I think he's challenging us as well, to believe Him, to receive Him, because He is the one you're looking for. He is. Because this Jesus would give up His power. He'd give up His greatness and glory to go to the cross to die in your place. And when He died on the cross, He purchased for you the forgiveness, the grace, the love of God being shown through it so that you could have your name written in that Lamb's Book of Life forever and reign with Him forever. See, Jesus is the one you're looking for. So how will you respond? I heard a story, a true story about a guy named Bill. And Bill, when he was in high school, was really despairing. He was really smart, a super intelligent kid, and he was reading philosophy, studying science. And the more he studied and learned, the more despairing he became. Because he realized, I'm going to die, my life is very short, and the universe will all blow up in a flame. It's all going to be gone someday. What's the point? Very despairing. He said his whole life was filled with the darkness. He was looking for something, some meaning to life. And one day in German class in high school, there was this girl that sat in front of him, and she smiled all the time. And he said it smiled so much that it made him sick. Right? You met those people? So he tapped her on the shoulder and said, Why do you smile all the time? Why are you so happy? 
And this girl said, it's because Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He said, what do you mean? I go, I've gone to church. What, what does that even mean? And she says, no, 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 that's not enough. You've got to ask Jesus into your heart. And he said, why would you do that? She said, it's because God loves you. And he said, it hit him like a ton of bricks. And he went home that night and was, you know, what the heck? So he found a New Testament. He'd never read it before. And he took it and he started reading about Jesus. And he became so mesmerized by who Jesus was and what he said. And for six months straight, he kept reading the Bible and thinking about what this girl said. And finally, after six months, he cried out to God because he had no other hope. He cried out to God to save him. And he said that he walked outside that night and looked up and saw the whole Milky Way. And he knew the God that created that loved him and had saved him. See, he learned that Jesus is the one you're looking for. And you may know him because he's probably the most famous philosopher, Christian philosopher and <laughs> apologetic person today. His name's William Lane Craig. And he realized that that day when he was a teenager that not only God loved him so much to send his son to die for him, to forgive his sins, but that he had to then now tell everyone he could about just Jesus. Because Jesus is the one you're looking for. So as the band comes up right now, I want to challenge you because we're all looking. Some of us are even Christians right now, but we keep looking for other things to fulfill those longings in our heart. It's time to direct that back to Jesus. Or for some of you, it's maybe time to direct that longing to Jesus for the first time. Because Jesus and Jesus alone is the one you're looking for. That Jesus... He has the empathy. He has the love, the compassion to know what you're going through, to help you in your time of need. He has the power to actually do something about it, even though, like with John, it's not when we want it to happen sometimes. And Jesus, too, has the glory, the greatness that you're looking for, and he can provide when you begin to live for him on his mission. So I want to challenge you to look to Jesus and look to Jesus alone. And we're going to have a chance right now for us to respond in worship to our great God. And so I just want everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads. And Lord God, I just challenge us, uh, and I pray that you would just work in our hearts so that we would not look anywhere else. That that longing we're feeling, we would find it and, and fulfill it in you, that we'd find a satisfaction that nothing else can provide. I pray that the, the men and women, the children here today, would feel that and know that you are the one true God and that you sent your son Jesus to show us how much you love us and care about us and have empathy for us. And not only that, you have so much power that though you died for us, you rose on the third day from the grave. And Lord God, in that power, would we find that satisfaction we're looking for in your greatness and glory alone. Now, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I just want to take a second. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you haven't made that decision to make him your personal Lord and Savior, and you're ready to do that today, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So if you're here and you think, say, I'm ready. This is what I'm looking for. I didn't even know I was looking for this, but it is. If that's you, would you just put your hand in the air? Everybody's eyes are closed. Would you just slip your hand in the air if that's you today? Lord God, I, I pray for those who are thinking about a decision, that you would stir in their hearts, and that you would show them that you are that fulfillment, and they would cry out to you just like that young high schooler did, Bill just like every single one of us who are believers did at one point, Lord God, because you are the hope. You are the, the, the true love. You are the power, the greatness, the glory that we're looking for, and you alone. 
And Lord God, right now we stand in worship of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand as we worship our great God. Greater, our God is stronger. God, you are high. 